Well, I came across a story recently about an English businessman who had been living for a short time in Nigeria and who was invited to a party by one of his new work connections. The invitation to the party said, fancy dress compulsory. Well, our Englishman didn't know where on earth he could lay his hands in Lagos on a good costume at very short notice. But he was a great scuba enthusiast and had taken his diving gear with him to his new Nigerian home. So on the night of the party, he dressed up, he took a taxi to his colleague's house, squelched up the drive in his wetsuit, mask, snorkel and flippers, and entered the gathering. But to his horror, as he flung wide the door to make a spectacular entrance, everyone's head turned to stare. Everyone, that is, wearing dinner jackets and cocktail dresses, because for a party in Nigeria, the words fancy dress on an invitation mean black tie. Needless to say, our friend turned and fled as fast as you could say, uh, as fast as you can in a pair of flippers and never showed his face there again, poor fellow. The wags amongst you may well say that the way the rainfall tables are going this winter, it won't be too long before we're all turning up to church in our very own wetsuits as well. But joking aside, I wonder how many people in our society today, certainly of younger generations, let alone maybe someone from a very different national and faith heritage, but now living with us in our community, how many people might not have a dissimilar sort of socio-cultural disconnect to our fancy dress friend when it comes to crossing the threshold of a church. And even if someone may be more familiar with the Christian faith and what to expect in a church service, it may well be that they have been absent from church, possibly for a long time, due to a negative experience of church that they have had in the past. In that case, it's perhaps even more challenging for someone to cross the threshold of a church building once again, to be part of a shared act of worship like this, this morning. Our service today, as those of you who follow us round the six villages of our benefice will well know by now, and maybe will be very glad to know as well, is the final Sunday in our sermon series on our Cranmer Group's vision and values, in which we're revisiting from a couple of years ago our vision of who we seek to be as God's gathered people in this place, in this time, and how, in turn, we seek to live out that calling that he has placed on our lives. To remind you all, for the last time in a while, I promise, at least in a sermon, you'll probably see it written on various places in the coming weeks as well. Um, but hopefully after multiple weeks of this, you'll have it off pat anyway. Our vision is that we are one growing community of disciples who seek to love Jesus, love one another, love our villagers and love God's world. And underpinning 
this vision that we share are the following values. As we follow Jesus, we seek to be prayerful, joyful, hopeful, welcoming, generous and courageous. And between Bronwyn and Annie and me, we've explored over the past six weeks and this morning what uh, following this vision and acting out each of these values as God's people might look like for us individually and especially collectively as our church family across our communities. And the last of these values, what I'm exploring with the help of our two readings this morning, is welcoming. How might we welcome others, not only in our Sunday gatherings such as this, but in all our other possible interactions with people in our community, where we might in some way represent the church to them? How might we welcome others in such a way that they are intrigued, that they feel blessed, that they want to know more, that they feel loved and they want to come back. Our first reading from the letter of James to some of the earliest followers of Jesus Christ among the scattered people of Israel throughout the Roman Empire gives us some very strong principles to guide how we welcome others and relate to them. These verses come immediately after James has reminded his readers of the touchstone throughout the whole of the Old Testament for deciding whether an Israelite ruler and the society they controlled was one that followed in the ways of God or not. Whether they looked after widows and orphans in their distress and also foreigners, although James doesn't mention them specifically here. And whether they kept themselves holy by the closeness of their walk with the Lord. And it's in this context that James then goes on <coughs> in our passage this morning to tell his readers that they are called to treat all who come into their meetings, what we might approximate as church services, treat them all with equal courtesy and honour, making no distinction between those who come in all their finery and those who come in rags. All are to say to receive the same welcome, without any question of favouritism for those who in the eyes of the world have, as opposed to those who have not. Indeed, we may never know whom we may be welcoming, to whom we may be extending hospitality, as in the case of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, where he welcomes the three strangers to his tent and prepares a lavish meal to entertain them. As the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, with a nod back to that ancient story, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Our model for extending this welcome of equity to all is, of course, the one who most especially pointed us to the royal law, as James describes it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus Christ himself, as our Gospel reading echoes. 
Perhaps most famously, Jesus also illustrated in Luke's Gospel what loving one's neighbour as oneself looks like in principle or in practice. In the story of the Good Samaritan, who rescued the Jewish traveller beaten up on the Jericho Road. The Samaritan is at once the neighbour of the man beaten up, but also a member of a group whom the Israelites regarded with disdain, if not outright hostility. The neighbour of the Jewish questioner to Jesus. He would most likely have felt uncomfortable at Jesus' stating that this man was most definitely his neighbour. Loving our neighbour is not always easy. Extending our welcome to all without favouring those who may look like us or come from the same background as us is not always straightforward too. But it's what Christ calls us to do and what he himself embodied. Indeed, Jesus actively chose to spend time in the company not of the powerful and the finely dressed, but in that of those who were outcasts of society, the poor, the children who in the society of the time lacked any sort of standing in law at all, who were effectively non-persons. Jesus called them to himself, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the crowds of ordinary, ordinary unwashed people, What's known in a Greek, the word is oklos, which refers to them as a, a sort of rabble, a, 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 a great big crowd of, 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 of heaving humanity. That's what the Bible refers to those people who come to listen to Jesus as, not as some ordered body, not a congregation like us. Jesus calls them to himself. Jesus consciously spends time with them. It's to them that Jesus gives healing or uh, performs miracles. It was them upon whom time and again he had compassion. It was them whom in love he called to himself. And it's therefore us whom he calls to extend that same welcome to those who come and seek him in our places of worship and in our points of connection with our community, in our gathered body of brothers and sisters in Christ. So what might this welcoming look like, and perhaps not look like, for us? What does being a welcoming church family mean in practice? It's important to say that I'm not only talking about people new to us, there may be some of you here this morning, who come to our services, although this is very uh, clearly a significant group, because by the fact that they, maybe some of you, have chosen to come into a time of worship, they, you, would seem to me more likely to want to explore questions of faith. But to those with whom we connect at other points of contact between our church family and the wider community, such as the Cranmer Food Hub or Connect Plus, our new youth group, or in our monthly coffee shops in Aslockton and Austin. Although we may not explicitly speak on these occasions to those who come 
to be with us, speak explicitly about Jesus, we can demonstrate his love for them in such a way that they they may wish to know more. That having been welcomed in such a way by God's people, they may wish to become part of God's people. Being a welcoming church isn't only being a friendly church. Although it might seem as though um, your vicar is uh, getting a bit hung up on semantics here, there is, I think, an important distinction to be made. Being welcoming involves intentionally looking outwards to those coming in, and indeed to those who have not yet come in, thinking prayerfully, proactively about how to engage with our wider communities, how to bless them, how to serve them. Being friendly doesn't necessarily have that outward-facing perspective. It's very possible to be an extremely friendly, supportive, kind, but yet inward-looking and rather exclusive group if one is not careful. I'm not suggesting, please be reassured, that this is something that might characterise our Cranmer Group Church family or perhaps our individual churches. I just want us all to be aware that we need to be intentional in taking that decision to face outwards and to welcome. And that because the enemy always loves to see things like this happen, even the warmest and most open churches can take their eyes off the ball in this area, with often very sad consequences for them and for the relationship of wider society with the church as a whole. Welcoming is the responsibility, if I may say, of each of us. We can all do our bit. Remember that one of our other Cranmer Group values is courageous. So we can all contribute courageously, taking that little step, each one of us, contributing to one large step. We can all contribute to welcoming others, however small we may feel our part can be. Be reassured that it's through many, many small steps, not just single big ones, that God moves amongst his people and brings others to him. It's not only greeting people with a smile, a cheery hello and a book at the door, although that's a great place to start. It's about listening to people. They may want to talk or they may not. Let them tell you that. It's about inviting them to stay, again, if they wish, for tea, coffee and cake after the service, and a chat, should they wish. Hospitality shared. And then it's about going to speak with them again, not only the first time we see them, but over time as they start, God willing, to become part of our church family, to build connection friendship and fellowship, making them feel, we pray, that our church becomes their church, which in turn therefore becomes a bigger, our church. If that might be you this morning, and you're now thinking you want to rush out the door afterwards, that is completely fine. 
please be reassured, we're not going to have the vicar hanging in on you for a natter. Um, everyone uh, comes to church in their own way, at their own pace, uh, and wanting to connect with others or not, as the case may be. But reassured that if you would like to speak to me or to any of our congregation here, you are so welcome to do so, and you are so welcome to stay for tea and coffee and uh, delicious cake always here in Watton. Additionally, there's some practical stuff that we're working on to be increasingly welcoming, we hope. Our ministry team in particular have been working with my wife Claire and myself to produce a welcome pack, telling newcomers what goes on in our group, where to find out more, how to get involved. Good practical stuff. I'd hoped so much to be able to share them with you today. Uh, they're almost done. Uh, but with the best will in the world, we didn't quite manage to do so, I'm afraid. But look out for them in the very near future. And do, in due course, um, if you are new or you just want to find out what's going on in our church family, take one of them. And if you see someone who might benefit from one, whether they're part of our uh, congregation or take them to them at home, uh, do please pick one up in due course. They hopefully will tell you lots about what we are all up to in the group. But all the research about churches says that when people have taken the brave step of coming through a church door for the first time, the number one reason why they leave is the conversations they have, or don't have, with the, with the existing church members. And the number one reason why people do stay and perhaps come to know the transforming love of Jesus Christ in their lives for the first time, or maybe come back to a faith they thought long lost, or just find a new place to call home for their existing strong faith. The number one reason why people stay is the conversations they have with the existing church members too. So my encouragement to each one of you this morning, as we come to the end of this sermon series on our vision and values, is to be a part of our church family that causes people to come and to stay and to grow, should they wish, in faith and fellowship. That the love of God may be ever more widely known in our villages and that his kingdom may be built step by step heart by heart, transformed life by transformed life here amongst us. In the name of our loving Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.